When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for football, hockey, and basketball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 65 65- 1-436-1120 or visit TicketKingOnline.com For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings we present Bonus Chatter Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted unfiltered and uninterrupted This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zogat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And tonight we're going to recap the Vikings 38-7 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. It was a drubbing uh, unlike probably we've seen since the San Francisco opening and one even more so because the uh, bleeding did not stop for these Vikings. They were inept on offense, inept on defense. Their lone score coming from a Cordero Patterson kickoff return We'll get to the defense and the problems that they faced and the injuries that they're dealing with as they have a quick turnaround against the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night. But we're going to lead off by talking about what happened on offense and are is what we're seeing fixable from this Minnesota Vikings team, which has shown consistently that it cannot come from behind. Judd, before I get to what your thoughts on it, the biggest deficit that they've overcome in this season is a 14-3 to uh, initial deficit against the Detroit Lions at Ford Field where the defense changed gears completely shut down the Lions and the Vikings were able to work their way back in that game since uh, they haven't been able to come back from any kind of a deficit with Teddy Bridgewater obviously being inconsistent behind a patchwork offensive line and receivers that have not been able to put it together this seems like an offense Judd that is torn between two different ideals obviously with Teddy Bridgewater thriving in a shotgun spread offense and Adrian Peterson thriving with heavy personnel under center they haven't been able to meld the two and we saw that even at the start of Sunday's game against the Seahawks when they had a chance when they were still in it. They still weren't able to move the ball and get it downfield, whether with Adrian or without. He had five carries for 10 yards in the first half. Right. Uh, and so it's not like when he was getting the ball, he was effective, at least on those five carries. 
But Judd, is there something to be said about Norv Turner, just as he did against the Green Bay Packers when they were down 16-6 to at halftime a couple weeks ago, to get away from Adrian Peterson as quickly as he did on Sunday? Uh, he probably, again, did it too quickly. But I think the most intriguing thing to me is this. Coming out of the San Francisco game uh, when they lost in the opener, I think we all agreed that they're going to have to pick which offense that they want to run. Do you want to run, run the Bridgewater offense, which has some pistol and shotgun, or the Peterson offense, which lines Peterson up seven yards behind Bridgewater and gives him the ball? And what we have found out is if the Vikings have a lead or are close in the game and things aren't, aren't going out of control for them, that the Peterson offense works perfectly. What we now have found out, which is the answer to a question that you broached about a month or so ago, is how does this team play when they get behind? And I guess the question also becomes, uh, from the Seattle game, how do they play when they get behind against a good defense and good opponent? And I don't think it's unfair to say, and the Vikings are 8-4. and four. In my mind, they're still a surprise team. It's not a dumpster fire by yeah, any means. So see, it's, and it's not this loss a disappointment. Was, yeah. This loss was a dumpster fire, but without that clouding what we saw or what we've seen from this team today, which is an overachieving team that's still going up a hill. They're not near the top yet, um, but has made a lot of the right moves. I think what we are seeing is when this team is behind and the Peterson offense has to be employed or elements thereof, it's dysfunctional. It just is. Norv Turner was talked about a ton on Sunday on Twitter, and people are upset with Norv, and should Norv do this? And Peterson himself expressed again for the second time in three weeks unhappiness with his use. But I really don't see... If they're behind in a game, I really don't see the opportunity, if it's 14 or more, how you marry the Bridgewater-Peterson offenses together. I think it's the one thing that they probably realize, short of an overhaul of some sort, which I don't even know how you would do this, you can't marry. You can't marry the two offenses together. It either needs to be Peterson's offense or Bridgewater's. It can be Peterson's offense if you are ahead or close. If you fall behind by two two scores or more, though, it gets really dicey, and I don't know what the answer is. And the scary thing for the Vikings is I think they don't know what the answer is. The dangerous part here would be to judge Teddy Bridgewater in a vacuum of this season, this game, and look at his eight touchdowns to eight interceptions in his second year and think, wow, what a disappointment. I think we said this before, Judd, and it still rings true in that you cannot judge Teddy Bridgewater, in my opinion, on this season because of the offensive line he's dealing with and because he's really tethered to an offense that wants to lean towards Adrian's strengths and, frankly, needs to lean towards Adrian's strengths because he's the one that can carry this team more so than Teddy could right now. Correct. We saw Teddy Bridgewater uh, set one of the best completion percentages for a rookie of all time in his 12 starts last year. We saw him average nearly nine yards per throw towards the end of last season. Uh, we saw him get into shootouts with the Miami Dolphins last year. You see all these things, and, and those are still things that you have to keep in mind about this young quarterback who's only 23 years old. Now, the problem with this year is that he is clearly, and that North Turner and this offensive staff has clearly not figured out a way, as you said, to marry the two into something that can work consistently and unpredictably. The problem that they've had is that, and again, they're eight and four. They've won a lot of games. They've, right. they've, I pegged them to be nine and seven this season. They have overachieved eight, eight for me. So it's hard based, not to. It's it's hard right now not to get caught up in what we just saw exactly and say, oh my gosh. But really, you've got to distance yourself a little bit. You do, especially too, because like like we said, we. I don't think anybody anticipated, you know, all the national prognosticators said, oh, they could be a playoff team, all this and that and that, and that's great. But that was all still potential, and right now it still is potential when we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater and the young pieces on this team. 
this offense only flows through one person correctly right now, and it's it's Adrian Peterson. They have not been able to marry the two concepts, and when they do, they've gotten too predictable on that. Okay, when they're in shotgun spread three wide where Teddy's comfortable, well, they're going to throw it. Everybody knows that, unless Jarek McKinnon's in the game, which means your highest-paid player is on the sideline. Correct. Or if they're under center with heavy tight end sets, okay, now they're running the football, obviously. Or if they do decide to throw it out of there, it's consistently a five-yard out to Red Ellison. It's not something where they're taking advantage of the loaded fronts, whether that's Teddy not being willing to drive the ball downfield, receivers not getting open, or the protection not holding up in front of him. All three facets have been completely inconsistent for this Vikings offense this year. Is it fixable now going forward? That's the number one question is are they somehow – 12 games now, you're three quarters through the season. You are three quarters through what you do. Mike Zimmer has said this before, around Thanksgiving time in the NFL is when you know what kind of team you are. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not fixable. To me, what they're doing on offense right now is not fixable because on short turnarounds, week-to-week games, you're not going to be able to adjust an offensive philosophy right. to all of a sudden fit the pieces that you've been trying to jam in, square pegs into round holes for the entire year. Right. To me, that's not fixable. And the only way they win games consistently and comfortably is by getting an early lead and riding the best running back in the NFL. And if a team like Seattle or any good team, Green Bay, any team that's going to be in the playoffs, if this team's a playoff team with the Minnesota Vikings, Mm -hmm. they're going to face a team that is going to be able to put an early lead on them. It's not going to be the St. Louis Rams. It's not going to be Nick Foles. If they can do that, if they can get early leads on the teams, that's how they win. But they're not going to go anywhere in the playoffs unless they prove that they can come back. And in fairness, though, they just might not be there yet. I mean, this is still exactly. a team. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. but but it's so the way to approach it isn't what a disappointment. The way to approach it is, in some ways, that they have uh, they have, in my opinion, overachieved, and now it's catching up to them a little bit. And you're facing some good teams. Now the problem today starts with a defense that was awful for that defense. They couldn't tackle, but you also started the day without Linval Joseph, who's been a Pro Bowl defensive tackle, as far as I'm concerned, out with a foot problem. Uh, what second series for Seattle of the game in the first quarter? Bar re-injures or aggravates that groin. Anthony Barr re-aggravated a groin, and, and then Harrison, Harrison Smith, Smith comes up with a new injury, a hamstring. Right, and yeah. so now, now you've depleted a defense of of three instrumental players, and the problem is Russell Wilson and Seattle are good enough to take advantage of that. You fall behind, and your offense can't catch up. This the Vikings, I believe, are a team with where they're at right now for 2015. If you look at them, if they were to if they were to win a playoff game, everything has to go right. Which means you can't have defensive players out and in your offense, so that defense has to essentially get you the lead and the offense then can pound the ball and run clock. So things things need to go a certain way for this Vikings team to win games. To your point, that's that's great into what I was just thinking of too in that I don't want to be like you. Everybody hates you. What happens when you get on <laughs> when you get on podcast one? When you're with Corolla and Shaq and those guys, you start to put out content. It's phenomenal. Fire. Just absolute fire. Anyway, go back to your point. Sorry. My point was that do you think we were hoodwinked to a point through their eight and whatever it was starts? It would have been seven and two starter, whatever it was. The, the, the point where they got through and that they were at their peak kind of before they lost two of the last three games. Do you think we were hoodwinked to the point? Because when you look at it, they were playing mistake-free football. It was no turnovers on offense, Teddy managing the game, Adrian pacing the offense, and the defense not committing penalties. Right. They were the least penalized team in the NFL before the last three weeks. The last three weeks, I believe they've had at least nine flags in each game. They're they're breaking down in terms of their discipline, their coach. Here's the thing. Nobody can say on an individual basis that this team isn't well coached. You can you can you can question the play calling, that's fine on both sides of the ball. Yep. Primarily on offense, obviously. Right. 
But this group is well coached. They know what to do in terms of penalties. They know what to do in terms of uh, staying on point. They're not going to be a team that's going to shoot themselves in the foot that often. And that's how they were the first 10 weeks of the season, nine weeks of the season. These last three weeks, even in Atlanta, when they had all those penalties, they have gone downhill in terms of shooting themselves in the foot. So to your point on that, they they need to play mistake-free clean, perfect football, all these things need to go their way to win games. And that's kind of how it was going. The first, I guess they, they've pushed Denver to the edge in week four, but other than that, they haven't, in their losses, they've been completely blown out, whether it was San Francisco, Green Bay, or today against Seattle. Yeah, three of the four four defeats have been pretty embarrassing. Exactly. And so otherwise they've gr- grinded out close wins against, I mean, Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, these yep. middling teams. Yep. They've put themselves above a mediocre pack by playing that smart football. They have gotten away from that brand of football in the last few weeks that when things go wrong right away out of, out of the gate for this team, at least the two last three losses. Yep. They have not been able to recover or come back or, or make any kind of a push. Yeah. When it was 16-6 to and then they went down 19-6 to in the third quarter to the Green Bay Packers, you felt no hope for what they were going to be able to do just because you know that I felt, they were getting dominated up front. And I felt that way. I, I agree completely with you on that assessment. And then the same with 21-0. And I felt, well, and I felt that way. I felt today's – I felt the Seattle game was getting out of hand in the first quarter. There was just this weird vibe about it. Listen, I think part of this is also – I think a lot of this has to do with, with what the offense can and can't do. I think there's conversations to be had here about personnel and things like that. But I really think in three of the losses that you look at, you look at a team that also is learning how to even play on a significant stage. Prime time, man, they have problems. That San Francisco loss was awful. That was a complete no-show. But that was also a team that looked like it got out there and just sort of folded up. That was weird. Same with Green Bay. Green Bay was and, – and Green Bay, I, I just – I think we disagree on this a little bit. I don't see the Green Bay loss as being as embarrassing, but that being said, I looked at that as a team that got on a big stage and said to itself, oh, my God, we're here. What are we going to do? That's what we can disagree on then because I think that was an embarrassing loss to a team in Green Bay that has shown they're not playing good football. Well, and that's true, but my point is is San Francisco – I was embarrassed for them. Green Bay, I felt I felt that they choked. I felt that they got that they got on a stage and it was too big. And then today they played a good team. The, the weird, the really weird thing in this league though is if you're a team like the Vikings, and I and I really do believe this is an ascending franchise right now. I, I think Zimmer's a really good coach, and I do believe there's elements here that are that of defense that are really good here. Uh, but the weird thing, Andrew, about this league too is there's so much just absolute garbage. And the Vikings right now are a team that's very good at cleaning up the garbage. So when they face a good team or they face a team that intimidates them or they get in a situation that intimidates them, they're not the same team. What you would hope for is that it's a learning process. And there's some there's some wild cards out here because we don't know if Bridgewater is really going to develop, if this is a blip at times or something that might be a concern. But I really think overall, if you take the entire roster right now, look at when they fail. Part of it is because the opponent's good, but part of it also it's as if they get in these situations that they have not been and they don't really know what to do. And that's what I thought about Green Bay. Uh, today, against uh, the, the Seahawks, were playing well and are a better team than they are. I also felt that some of this was on the feeling that they are not going to win. The feeling in the first quarter that I had, or second quarter, that, man, this seems like it's it's 35-zip already. Well, and Seattle, it's a weird feeling. And, too, it kind of gave you a, a false, it gave Vikings fans, followers, a false sense of confidence when all of a sudden Seattle's driving. They take the opening kickoff return to the midfield, and then they start driving, and then all of a sudden eggs and forces a fumble, and you just kind of get this feeling of, okay, this is how it was in Atlanta, yep. where they, they would Bend, and then all of a sudden they Great would point. they would get the ball back right away out of the gate though it felt like okay Seattle is slicing through them and that's kind of how it was even though they turned the ball over at the opening gate 
that was something where you just realized, okay, how this kind of started, this isn't sustainable if they're going to be giving up this kind of yardage with all the injuries they had on defense, the missed tackles, all the penalties, everything they were doing. And obviously the Vikings players, coaches were not happy with the officiating. Yeah, we can go and talk an entire podcast on that. Yeah, it was it was awful, but, but it often the is. biggest thing to me about this game and what it showed about the NFL is that it, it is absolutely, and it's becoming a cliche, or it is a cliche, but it's it's true, is that it's a week-to-week league in that it depends on when you catch teams. Look, they, they caught the Detroit Lions at great times. They caught them when they were 1-7, essentially, and had to fire their offensive coordinator. If you would have played Detroit now, I'm not convinced the Vikings necessarily beat them. Seattle Seahawks were 6-5 and five entering this game. And a lot of Vikings fans, followers thought, oh, this is, and the Vikings themselves thought, well, yeah, we know they're a Super Bowl caliber talent, but clearly right. they have their issues and we can get after them. Yep. Seattle's red hot, and they had put up nearly 1,000 yards of offense in the two games leading into this one. They put up another 400 today. They have clearly shown that they're cutting through not just Mike Zimmer's defense, but any defense that's in their path recently. Mm-hmm. And that when you catch a team like this, and then you have the kind of formula. And here, I picked the Vikings to win this game. So it's not like I'm trying to say that I can foresee all this stuff. This is hindsight. In that now when you look at the formula of what the Seahawks are doing and how hot they were on offense and the Vikings' inability to stop them with all their injuries, it should have been just obvious that there was no way the Vikings would come back if they went into a hole the way they did out of the gate. And 21 nothing, you're right, Judd. Even the first quarter, you could tell this one was slipping away from them and that this team has shown, as we said off the top, that they cannot come back from a big hole, especially against a team that has the kind of talent that the Seattle Seahawks do. Not to uh, make excuses, too, but we've talked about this a thousand times. When Anthony Barr is off the field for the Vikings, that defense becomes so much easier to play against because Harrison Smith and Joseph are really good players, and, and they are losses when they're not there. Anthony Barr is a guy that allows you to give different looks. And when he's – you can't replace him. You can't just put in, as, as we've discussed before, you can't just put in a linebacker and say, oh, you're Anthony Barr now. You are – you replace Anthony Barr, who can play so many different places, with a simple linebacker. With a guy they plucked off the couch because Audi Cole was out for the season and Jason Trusnick, who they literally signed off his couch, off his sofa, and that's obviously not an ideal situation Though I was talking about their linebacker depth not that long ago, and somebody was trying to correct me and say, well, they haven't been that injured. And it's like, well, no, but the point is is that now if they lose one of those guys, they're absolutely behind the eight ball here in mm-hmm. terms of what they have. They don't have a Gerald Hodges to say, okay, you're a starting caliber guy. Come in there and play. Gerald would have been that guy in for Anthony Barr today, but they obviously traded him for right. a ham sandwich and a six-round pick. So Six-pack of beer, too, I heard. Well, good. <laughs> but this defense is shown now. It, it can't play without certain players. And you bring up you bring up Anthony Barr. Linval Joseph was already a huge absence from this. And I had said on the podcast a week ago or previewing this game and that I thought Sharif Lowe would have a good game. He didn't. Yeah, now, that's right. You did on I'll Wednesday. Wear, I, I'll wear the egg on my face for that because I thought they were able to get, get some penetration. And really, Brian Robinson was the only one that was able to get after Russell Wilson today. I saw, though, a Seahawks offense that once Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith were off the field, because Harrison had a run stop like on the first play. He came off the edge, tackled Thomas Rawls in the backfield. That's the kind of stuff. The initial plan from Mike Zimmer I saw was going to be, we need to take a care of the run. We're not worried about the deep throws. They played a lot of single-high safety on that first series when they still had Harrison Smith. Harrison was active up in the box. Uh, Antone Exum was playing the, the center field back there, and they were able to use a essentially Harrison is another linebacker. And that's when they're great on defense, in my opinion, when they've got that level of talent around there that's so versatile. Right. When you strip all those players away, they become average talent. 
on defense overall. You've got a 37-year-old corner in Terrence Newman who can get beat downfield. Xavier Rhodes is inconsistent in his own right. And then all of a sudden you've got a 32-year-old linebacker next to a rookie in Eric Kendricks. And they, can, they, took, they got taken advantage of. And I saw Russell Wilson going after Brian Robinson on some of those end arounds they had, some of the bootlegs. Oh, yeah. Almost all of them were to Brian Robinson's side because yeah. he's the slowest one of him and Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm. And then on those kind of crossing routes and shorter passes, they were going after Chad Greenway. Mm-hmm. Chad Greenway had a bad day, a very bad day. And he had to stand, stand in there and play more of that nickel roll with Barr out, and he got exposed. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that this defense, without those key players, they just simply got exposed. And that's something that – to me, I didn't see anything coaching and thought, wow, why aren't they doing this different? They were getting shellacked on the field by more talented people. And Russell Wilson, man, was he impressive. I thought Russell Wilson played. Yeah, he's fun to watch today. One of the, uh, he was the best quarterback I've seen on the field against the Vikings this year. Yeah. And they played Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers. I mean, Russell Wilson was by far the best it's quarterback like on the field. Absolutely. He's like a point guard. Some of the moves he put on, like Daniil Hunter, yes. who's got one of the longest reaches of anybody in, in last year's NFL draft, to just get away from a guy like that and to, to put the cuts well, and the spins that he does, it's ridiculous. We saw today why, why, if you want to talk about Bridgewater's role and how it might emulate Wilson's role, that's fine. But there's no comparing these quarterbacks. As talents? Yeah, well, no, and as I far agree. as what they can bring on the field. Yep. They're not even close to being the same guy. I mean, look at Wilson's elusiveness. Look at the moves that he gets. Teddy doesn't. He, Teddy that on his fifty-three-yard touchdown run by Russell. It was Teddy is, by Teddy a penalty, is more but, like oof. I am as far as his ability to run than Russell Wilson. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, he is, but Teddy's got no. Teddy doesn't have moves. No, I see what. You, yeah, he does. We've seen him. Come on, Judd. We've seen what? him put moves on guys in, in the open field. Well, they're before. halfway. The thing is, he doesn't they're have halfway the decent. Here's, but they're here's not the Russell difference Wilson. I see. It's he doesn't have the uh, acceleration that Russell right. has. Russell has that receiver acceleration where it's like once he wants to take off, he's he's gone. Well, you <laughs> I, just, across, well, I went to snap my fingers well, with the pen in my hand. Russell has the ability out. to look to look at a guy, juke him, and he's yes. gone. Yeah. Teddy tries at times. And Teddy can put moves on can, bigger guys. He can not do it. The, right, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. it's bigger guys. It's yeah, not. Yeah. Teddy, I mean, Russell Wilson gets into the secondary. He's still putting moves on people. And and this is not. He put the move on uh, Anton Exum on that seminary. Yeah, and this is, not, yep. this is yep. not to criticize Bridgewater. This is to say Russell Wilson's that good. Yes. Teddy, Teddy has abilities. I'm not saying he doesn't. But to try and compare these two as far as, oh, this is what Teddy should be doing, there's very few guys in this league probably – probably throughout the years in this league, that have the type of elusive moves that Wilson has. Because he, he makes guys miss like running backs, like a good running back can make guys miss. That's not normal for a quarterback. And Thomas Rawls, man, undrafted free agent. I sound like John Gruden. Well, you know what it proves guy, again? Man, Do you know what it proves again? Proves again you can find running backs, doesn't it? You can find them on the pile. You can find running backs. 19, I mean, 19 carries, 101 yards for Mr. Rolls, 5.5 yards he fits per carry. The, he fits the system. And he's now averaging uh, around 5.5 yards a carry on what, the season. What's which the is, most important thing that the Seattle Seahawks did this entire season? Most important thing that they did. There's one, there's one thing that they did that they made changes to. They fixed. Offensive line. Their offensive line was awful a month and a half ago. They released their center. They put in the guy. Max Unger got hurt last year. The guy they put in to replace him uh, struggled a little bit. So then they moved, I think, uh, I forget, a college something, a uh, uh, defensive lineman or something like that to center, and that's the kid that was just awful. He got released. They brought, they brought the kid in who had replaced Unger, who was traded to the Saints. They put him back at center. They made a couple moves there. They fixed their offensive line. It's easily the most important thing. 
And we Easily. see on the flip side how that hamper, hamper, nope. hampers, excuse me, the no Vikings, and, and how Brandon Fusco is getting turned around by Michael Bennett, TJ Clemmings giving up pressure across the board. It's the same. So, story. what's your professional opinion as we sit here now uh, digesting this loss of this Vikings offense? And I'm, I'm certainly not implying that it needs to be overhauled because it doesn't. If they're ahead, they're fine. And Peterson's still very, very good. But what's your professional opinion now that you've seen what happens if they fall behind to a good team? What do you do? I mean, even short term to try and do you do you go back to Peterson and say, okay, we'll just give you the ball and see what we can do. What do you do? What I wanted to see them do heading into this game was throw more out of those heavy sets. I wanted them to try and I thought one way that they could try to meld the Adrian Peterson Teddy Bridgewater game is by making Bridgewater uh, under center quarterback as they've done, but then throwing out of that more instead of trying to say, okay, Teddy will put you back in your comfort zone and go spread three wide shotgun and just take Adrian off the field. Well, then you're just way too predictable. I, like I said, we said off the top that this isn't necessarily fixable right now. And I don't believe it is because what do you do is a good question. Do you, you can't take Adrian off the field. You can't do it. You can't. So that means you have to find a way to make Teddy Bridgewater work, throwing the ball downfield with Adrian Peterson in the game. And the way you do that is what? Max protection sets, getting seven guys in there as they've done before and have these yeah. five-step drops and try to... The thing is, right now, Teddy's only been able to connect on under routes, basically the short stuff. He, I mean, we haven't seen him really connect consistently on intermediate throws. Maybe the Chicago game and before that, maybe the Denver game. We haven't seen it. I mean, since Stephon Diggs burst out of the scene with all those yards in his first three starts, uh, he's been a non-factor. Mike Wallace has been a completely non-factor. To me, uh, what I would have done and what I think they should have done, but you can't do it because of Russ, uh, Mike Wallace's contract, is I would have put Charles Johnson over Mike Wallace starting there because I feel like all those deep balls that you're throwing, or at least some of them, Charles Johnson's going to be able to contest them at least, whereas a guy like Mike Wallace or even Stephon Diggs, who's only six feet, is not going to be able to do that. Sure. Um, they have completely gone away from Cordero Patterson, who showed today on a kickoff return that he is still dynamic as a ball carrier. Uh, I think I, I just don't see why you can't do more of the stuff that they were doing earlier in the season when it comes to uh, heck you saw it in the Green Bay game a couple weeks ago where they start off with the jet sweeps they start doing the lateral stuff side to side the quick rhythm I just saw them kind of go down to this bread and butter simple okay now we're just gonna check the ball down to Matt Asiata for a few yards like I didn't see them kind of pull any tricks out of the bag here when they were down a ton to the Seattle Seahawks I saw them just try to maybe simplify things for Teddy Bridgewater. It felt very lifeless. lifeless. It, it did. It did. And so I, I just, I think you've got talented pieces on this offense, and at least at wideout, you're not using them in the way that maybe they should. Remember the screens that you saw them get going against? Uh, it would have been the Falcons last week. Mm-hmm. Where were those? You didn't see any of that. And did, so I guess it comes back to play calling, is what I'm saying. But did I they mean, feel that Seattle somehow took those plays away more than Atlanta would have? Well, Seattle's a much more. Here's you, the thing, it, it, Atlanta, Atlanta, and the reason why they went to some of those in Atlanta was because they're such a. They're an aging defense. They're not as fast, at least the guys that they do have on defense. So they were wary of Seattle's strength and, and the fact that they're talented guys who can get all over the field. Sure. But you weren't tricking them on anything you were doing. It, it was just a constant today. It was just a constant either a three, five-step dropback with a short route. Teddy took one shot, I saw, toward the end zone. Um, but other than that, there wasn't anything downfield. And, and the thing is, you just you're, you, you become too simple one way or the other. And... I get why you simplify it when you've got a struggling young quarterback. That makes complete sense. And especially when you've got the best running back in the game, you just feed it to him. That's how it works. But when you can't give it to Adrian Peterson, you have to find a way to make Teddy Bridgewater effective. And they haven't been able to do that since, what, the Detroit Lions game when he threw for 300? Yeah. 118 yards he threw for day, threw today on 33 dropbacks. 
He yeah. averaged 4.2 yards per throw, Judd. And you, cer- and you certainly don't 4.2. feel like the progress is there that you did last year. You know, a year ago, as we got late in the season, you said to yourself, Bridgewater's really making strides. This is pretty good. And now you look at it and you really don't say that at all. And, and that's say, why I say it's hard to say. almost just treading water. And that's why it's hard, for, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, because I don't think we can judge him on this season alone, obviously. And, and you never can, really, with a quarterback two years in. Right. But at the same time, with the factors that he's got going on around him, whether it's the offensive line, uh, just a misconnection with Mike Wallace, the highest paid receiver on the team, or the fact that he has not been able to figure out a way to work with Adrian Peterson consistently, all those factors mean to me, especially because this is Adrian's offense, I can't judge Teddy Bridgewater as the future of the Vikings franchise the way that many people want to say, oh, well, he's exposed now. This is who he is. He's Christian Ponder 2.0. No, no, he's not. He's already shown things that Christian Ponder can't do. The thing is, and we like I said, we've seen him throw accurately. We've seen him throw – it was nine yards per throw in the last five games of his rookie season. That would be one of the tops in the NFL right now. Yeah. He's shown to get the ball downfield and drive it, just not with how this offense is working right now. And, and that's the biggest mystery to me. And that's why I don't think it's fixable because you've already gone through 12 games of this season. Oh, right. yeah, you don't just all of a sudden – a light just doesn't go on. But, but you don't have a bye week to just figure it out. This, long, is, this is the problem. For the long term, this now has to be taken into account of what has happened or not happened for 2016 as well. So, yeah, what do you do with Adrian? So I we mean, can, we're, that's down the road. But exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, that's my point is you can't – if you're the coaching staff uh, or the GM, you're not just uh, just sitting there fixated on the month of December. You're also saying to yourself, what do we do? I mean, we've got Peterson. Do we bring him back? He's uh, – had a great season for you, and if you're ahead, he's fantastic. But there's just there's there's a lot of moving parts here, and they play uh, Thursday night against Arizona again, and I do think it's going to be very interesting now. Uh, Mike Zimmer, for the first time in his two years here, because he's got a successful team, might have a bit of uh, of crisis management on his hands to a certain degree too, because now that Peterson has basically gone out two of the last three weeks and blamed the losses on players and coaching. And, you know, asked, I said today, I said, when you say coaching, what do you, you know, what do you talk about exactly? I said a lot of things. And so basically he wouldn't go into detail. And I said, is one of those things getting eight carries? And he said, what you think? And I said, yeah, I think it is. But it is the, the more successful the Vikings are, and I think with them being tied with the Packers, Kramer, there's going to be a point here where the national media is going to become very interested in why Adrian Peterson might not be completely happy. And so that's something else, and it's not a huge deal, but it's something else that if you're a head coach of a team, you've got to at least manage that. You know, after the Green Bay game, when Peterson got 13 carries, he sat down with the coaches to talk to him. He was obviously very happy with what transpired in Atlanta, but now you're back to that. And so do they sit down with him again and promise him carries? Do they sit down and say, you've got to be quiet, Adrian. You know, this is going to undermine the entire team. I'm very curious to see how they approach this because these little fires start up all the time, and part of things for coaches is, how, how quickly do they put them out, and can they do that? Because this is the type of thing, you get one superstar unhappy, things start to spiral, as you know. And when things start to spiral in a locker room, a lot of guys who have gripes start to bring those things to the forefront. So we'll see. 158 yards in Atlanta was sure one way to quell that fire. But exactly. then come out and have the game like you did today in a big stage. And I think you're right. I think you can't tell... I don't assume you can tell a player like Adrian Peterson to be quiet. Uh, he's going to say his mind. He's 30 years old. He's at, I mean, he's at the point of his career where you're not going to be able to control that. The thing is, though, and the truth, and Adrian might 
come about it the wrong way by saying those kinds of things to media, at least from a coach's perspective. But the truth is, is that he's right. And that right now with how this offense is built, there's only one person that can carry it. And to me, the grander scope of it is, is that you've got a guy, a young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who needs to get into rhythm and rhythm in games. And if he's handing the ball off to Adrian Peterson, every other play, he cannot do that. Adrian is better the more carries he gets. You've got you've got two. It's a bad match. You've got two train carts on the same track trying to pull each other the other way. If it's you're just, down, if you're down by fourteen or more, it's just a bad marriage. I think it's pretty simple. Yep. Unfortunate for the Vikings, but there's nothing. There's nothing we've seen. That, Teddy's not a developed enough quarterback to just all of a sudden say, "Okay, I'm gonna hand off five straight times, and then now let me throw this thirty yard dig route." I mean, that's just it doesn't work that way. He's not. He's not right. at that point of his career. Right. Yeah. And and one thing I will say is. Peterson also might have this might be above and beyond Bridgewater and the current team. This might be nine years of frustration in the sense. One is it was pretty clear during the offseason he wanted out of here. The Vikings begged him to come back and said, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. Just come back. And they weren't wrong to do so because he's had a really good season. But all of that being said, I think anytime he's not the focal point now, he's saying, why am I not? You guys begged me to come back. I'm the one who, who said, please trade me to Dallas or something like that. Well, and especially as he sees that he's still very much got it. Yeah, and I the mean, other thing, and, and, and in his defense, I will say, this is the key thing to me. It's nine years. It's a Hall of Fame career. He's 30. So he knows he knows he's got it, but it's not going to last for, forever at this point. He's saying to himself, honestly, in my time here since 2007, I've had one year with a quarterback who gave us a chance. Right? Yeah, Harv. the one quarterback that but, was experienced enough saying, to be able to... Think yeah, about if you're yeah. him and you're going to Canton. I mean, you are a great player. I don't care what people th- think of you as a person or a dad, whatever. You are a great football player. You are going to the Hall of Fame, and there's a chance that you're going to get up to give your speech knowing that you had one year with a real quarterback. That would be frustrating as hell. You think he'll invite Favre for his induction speech? Should have Favre do the induction speech for him. That's <laughs> Should I throw in that pass to Sydney? I don't know. I don't Maybe know, I not. Should. Maybe. Should Tahi have been in the huddle? Probably not. <laughs> should, there be, should I have counted the guys? My favorite thing, <laughs> just quickly, one of my favorite things from that 2009 game when, when the 12 men was Aaron Rodgers disliked Favre so much that he made sure to tell the beat guys shortly after that game, well, you know, it is the quarterback's job to stand outside the, oh. the huddle and count the hats. <laughs> he still basically sold Favre out and said Favre dick. should have counted the hats. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, That's how much he didn't like it. But anyway, oh. uh, Peterson's frustration also might be a, a career achievement award. Seriously. In saying, I've had yeah. one year. Yeah. You know, Favre came back in 2010. It was a disaster. Yeah. But he could say... You know, Tavares Jackson, who we saw t- uh, And you're today. right, 2012, I mean, they made it to the playoffs, but they never had a chance, and you wonder if they had a chance with Ponder starting if he had. But... Yeah, and then you give him Joe Webb, but you're, yes. you're right, Ponder was Ponder. Yep. So, and now he's got, and it's not that Bridgewater can't be good, we have no idea, but he's got another young quarterback now, and now he's, and so I could see him basically saying, my gosh, I am, I am a phenomenal football player, and I might have one year where I could have gotten there. Well, Vikings fans, do not expect any Viking player to tell you to relax in the same vein Aaron Rodgers did because they play at the Arizona Cardinals, who are 10-2 and on Thursday night on the road in Arizona. So I want to thank you for checking out the Purple Podcast at 1500ESPN.com. Please check back to the website for more. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plug Door Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players. That is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? 
because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.